Good evening, everybody. It's time to begin our service this evening. We've got some stragglers in the back working their way in. Tonight we'll have three songs, uh, and then John will have our reading and prayer. One more song, and then Chris will have our lesson. Our first song tonight is number 866, I Will Call Upon the Lord. If you would, let's stand for this song, please. next song is number 400, 400, Living by Faith. is on the overhead only and can it be we sang this a few months ago at a uh, third sunday sing 
I'd like to sing it again. And can it be? And can it be that I Let's pray at this time. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your amazing love, your amazing mercy, and your amazing grace that, that you would send your Son to die for our sins. And Father, that you bless us with the hope of heaven because of that, as your sons and daughters, Father, in Christ. Father, we thank you so much for the time to reflect on those things and for Brother Si and the songs he chooses and the songs so many of us can sing together, Father, and the beauty of those songs. And, Father, for those who've written those songs in days gone by, we, we thank you for them. And, and, Father, for the encouragement that we get from them. Father, we thank you for the encouragement that we get from being with one another on a weekly basis, Father. Encouragement we get from singing and praying and listening to your word and meeting each other. And, Father, we're thankful for, for all those things that... Sometimes we just take for granted, but Father, we do thank you so much. Thank you for blessing us to be in a country where we can do this and not be harmed and not be afraid, but can boldly serve you. Father, we thank you for the news of this morning, Father, and for the work of, of the elders, Father, in this regard, for 
for Brother Clinton and Jerry and Gary and their families, Father, and in their choosing of three men, Father, who uh, we pray are anxious, Father, to, to become elders. We're thankful for their desire to become elders, Father, that we know that's a major part, uh, as your word says, and Father, for their dedication to you and their love for you and their abilities to, to serve you. We pray your blessings on us as we go about this procedure, Father, for the next couple of weeks, that you'll help us to do the right thing and make the right decisions. And Father, we do thank you for so many others, Father, in this congregation that do your work, that work together, that provide different functions, Father, that that help the congregation here, and Father, help us to show, help us in showing our light to others, Father, and to encourage others. Father, we do pray that you will bless us tonight as we continue to worship. Father, that you will bless us to remember the many that are sick, and Father, to, to thank you for the ones that you've helped in so many ways, and help them to be better, and and Father, we thank you that you've been with Kelly, that you've blessed her through her surgery, and, and so many others, Father, who've had surgeries. We just pray that you'll continue to bless her and, and the treatment she has. And Father, that you'll continue to be with all those who are facing cancer and, and, and the different things and for other reasons as well, Father. Father, we pray your blessings on those who have lost their loved ones. We pray that you'll be with Be with those, with uh, Sandy Smith and Gary this time with their loss, and, and Terry and Kathy Walls, Father, at their loss, the Pittman family and their loss, and Father, just so many that are having issues with COVID and, and dying from it, Father. And But we do pray that you will bless those who do face it and are having it now, that they will overcome it. We do pray that you'll be with Dave's brother and Dave's dad and and others, Father, that, that need you in a special way right now. Father, be with many others that we all may know personally that are facing this, that you will bless, bless each one of those families to overcome this disease. Father, just be with us. Bless us tonight. Be with Brother Rick, uh, Chris as he presents a lesson to us. Father, just help us in, in the things that we do. Forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis 49. Genesis Chapter 49, verses 8 through 12. Genesis 49, 8 through 12. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art going up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and to him shall be the gathering of the people, shall the gathering of the people be, binding his foal unto the vine, and his ashes colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, and his teeth white with milk. Our song of invitation this evening will be number 761, 761, Where He Leads I'll Follow. Now if you would, let's stand and sing number 834, Salvation Has Been Brought Down, 834. Jesus gave his life for the ransom, the unknown Calvary, on Mount Calvary. Yeah. 
If you've got your Bibles, be turning back to the book of Genesis. We're going to start in Genesis 37. Uh, we are in the midst of a study from Matthew chapter 1. So you're thinking, well, why are we going all the way back to Genesis? Well, in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew provides for us the genealogy of Jesus. And he starts with Abraham. We've talked a little bit about Abraham and the life that he led and some of the things that we can draw out of Abraham's life from what God has told us. Uh, Abraham's story is all in one spot. And God tells his story sequentially, chronologically. And so you're left to wonder why he inserts certain stories from Abraham's life and deletes other stories uh, there are several stories from Abraham's life that we're not privy to. Well, I wonder why. Because I think God is trying to prove a point to us, maybe more than one point, but at least one, uh, from Abraham's life. We looked also at Isaac's life. We looked at Jacob's life just a few weeks ago. and Tonight we're going to look at the next in, in order uh, in there in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew records for us that the next person in Jesus's genealogy is Judah and his brothers. So you started thinking, well, why did he draw attention to Judah? Well, obviously he does that because Judah is in Jesus's, uh, he's one of Jesus's ancestors. And so that makes sense. But why does he draw attention to this little phrase and his brothers there in Matthew chapter one? Because what's that remind you of? Well, when you think of Judah and his brothers, it drives you all the way back to Genesis chapter 37, doesn't it? And so when you get there, you find uh, Joseph has had some dreams, uh, and he has shared those dreams, uh, unfortunately for him, with his brothers. Uh, he has had at least two dreams that he shared with them uh, in which they serve him, and one dream in which even the, his father and mother bow down and serve him. And so as Joseph is Israel's favorite son, the son born to Rachel in his old age, Rachel is his favorite wife. Uh, he has four. We'll talk about at least one more of them. Uh, her name's Billa. But uh, Rachel is his favorite wife. He's the, she's the wife that he worked for for really 14 plus years. I uh, ended up with Leah and her handmaiden, but also Rachel and her handmaiden. And so Israel loves, Jacob loves Rachel more than he loves the other ones. And so the children that she bears to him are his favorite children. And you remember the story, he gives Joseph a long sleeve coat just full of uh, different colors. Um, and so when one day... Jo Judah and his brothers see Joseph coming out to them from the fields. They're a long way away from home. They're in a place called Dothan. Uh, and it's several days' journey from where their father is. They hatch a plan. Let's kill this little insurrectionist. Probably is a nice term that they would have used for him. Let's kill our little brother. And we'll just be done with all of his high-handed plans. Uh, no more of this talk of uh, you will bow down and serve me. No more of dad's favorite. No more of this. Let's just do away with, with Joseph. Reuben, the oldest one, the firstborn, has apparently a slightly better head on his shoulders than the rest of them, although there's a caveat there that we'll, we need to look at in just a bit. He says, whoa, whoa, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in this pit. Remember, uh, Jeremiah is thrown into a pit hundreds of years later. This is uh, maybe an old well or something. But Joseph is thrown down into the pit. Reuben, for whatever reason, leaves uh, the brothers in this little section of the country. And he goes somewhere else. And pretty soon, the, uh, the brothers notice that there's a caravan of Ishmaelites coming towards uh, them, and they hatch a plan. In fact, it is Judah who hatches the plan. Look in Genesis 37, verse 26. That's the one he says. Up until this point, 
It's been the brothers making the plan. It's been they. It's been them. It's been the group, right? All of the other ten brothers, Benjamin's not included. He's too young. He's still at the house uh, with, with, with dad. Mom has passed away by this point. Uh, Rachel is gone by this point. But So the other ten brothers hatch this plan together. All throughout this narrative in Genesis 37, it's they, it's them, it's the brothers. But here in verse 26, one of the brothers breaks out, and he's going to take a leading role. Listen to what Judah says. Verse 26, Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let none... <coughs> excuse me. And let not our hands be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. He's being pretty gracious there, isn't he? And his brothers listened to him. And so they sell him to the Midianite or the Ishmaelite, same, same group of people. They sell them to those traders and they take them to Egypt. And the rest of the story uh, is, as they say, history, I suppose. What I want you to see is Judah was looking out for his own benefit there, wasn't he? He found an opportunity to make a profit off of Joseph, his brother. And he thought, we don't have to kill him. To get him out of the way, we don't have to kill him. We can make a little bit of money off of him. And in fact, they make 20 um, shekels of silver off of him. And so he is out for himself. Judah is looking out for number one, as they say. It's interesting, though. If you hold your finger over in Genesis 37, flip over to Matthew chapter 1. I want you to see the way Matthew phrases this. I think we've talked about this in the past. But it's just so interesting to me, and I can't teach through Matthew 1 without drawing attention to this fact that Matthew draws attention to these skeletons in Jesus' closet. Uh, he has some ancestors that you don't want in your genealogy. Several years ago, I got interested in my own genealogy, and there was an older guy who had already done it, and he's one of our cousins, I suppose, and He's probably in his 80s. And he said, uh, you may not want to dig too deep because you might not like what you find. <laughs> I said, okay, you know, like how bad can it be? Well, it turns out it's pretty bad. There's <laughs> a lot of nasty people uh, in our genealogy um, from Middle Tennessee. And so a lot of uh, bootleggers and those kinds of things and just a lot of nefarious folks. You find those kinds of people in Jesus' genealogy. Matthew Doug, via the Holy Spirit, right, the Holy Spirit gave him this information, uh, and he highlights the people who you, most people would downplay. I wonder why he does that. I think it's because he's trying to get us to see that God enjoys using broken and fractured people, because that's who Matthew is himself. Matthew's a tax collector. He's on the out. He's not in the in, the in crowd. He is someone who no one would associate with outside of tax collectors and other people no one else would want to associate with. So when Jesus calls him to be in Jesus' in crowd, it changes everything for Matthew. And he apparently starts seeing a theme with God of him calling people, calling broken people, mending them and using them for his glory in the kingdom. So there's hope for us, right? Uh, whatever your past looks like, whatever you've done, whatever, wherever you're coming from, God can and wants to use you. And it seems like the more broken, the better. The more fractured your life has been in the past, when you come to Him, you can be anything. Paul was a murderer, right? Peter was a traitor. The more broken your life is, the more glory he gets out of healing your wounds. And so Matthew enjoys drawing attention to that in Jesus' genealogy. He's going to do it here in our lesson today, and he's going to continue doing it as we uh, walk through some of these, these names but today's really, the, I suppose, the first time where he's going to, to have that thought for us. But look here in verse 3, Matthew 1, verse 3. 
he's already said in verse 2 that Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. That's, again, not something you want to draw attention to, this little tidbit that Judah, what Judah did uh, with his brothers is not something you want to put in the family Bible. <laughs> this is not uh, geneal genealogy that you want to draw attention to, but he does here. Uh, but even beyond that, in verse 3, he says, And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. What? I mean, that's, that's scandalous, right? I can't even tell Tamar's story tonight. <laughs> We're going to be very careful with how we tell her story tonight because I don't want to have to explain anything later to my own children. Um, and so, fast forward just a chapter. In Genesis chapter 38, flip back over there, you'll find the rest of, at least a good bit of the rest of Judah's story. He really starts popping up in Genesis 37 there in verse 26 when he says, hey, I got an idea. Instead of let's killing him, let's sell him because he's looking out for number one. He's looking out for himself. He's looking for ways to profit because he's selfish. Um, and so he really pops up there in Genesis 37 verse 26, but his story is much bigger than that. It, 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 it starts there in 27 or 37 26, uh, and it continues through verse uh, chapter 38, but then it, it kind of ends all the way towards the end of Genesis, and we'll, we'll get there. But let's, let's deal with this, this first little bit here in Genesis 38. Judah is going to find a woman. She is not an Israelite. She is not from the house of Nahor like Abraham and Isaac's wives have been, uh, like Jacob's wife has been. She is not from that family. She is a Canaanite. Her name is, um, we don't really know her name, but her dad's name was Shua. And so he marries her, and they have three boys. Uh, the first one's name is Er, and he made uh, a mistake, <laughs> and he was wicked in God's sight. And so he's aptly named, I suppose. Um, but for whatever reason, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what he did, um, but uh, he was wicked, and so God killed him. And then... Uh, before his death, he married this woman named Tamar. Tamar is going to be important uh, in Genesis and then for our story today. Because of his wickedness, God kills Er. And because of the law of levered marriage, Old Testament stuff, they had not had a child. And so Judah's second-born son, Onan, marries Tamar. He also is wicked. Go back through and read Genesis 38. It reads like a James Patterson novel. Uh, it's incredibly interesting just how it all hashes out. But Onan is also wicked. And so God has him killed as well. And Judah is left with one son. His name is Shelah. And so what are you going to do with the boy? Because he's not of marriageable age yet. And so Judah's... Judah approaches Tamar and he says, well, let's, let's make a deal. In fact, just look at it here in Genesis 38, verse 11. Genesis chapter 38, verse 11. Judah will eventually, at least he'll say he will eventually, give Shelah to Tamar in marriage. Um, Let's listen to what he says. Genesis 38, verse 11. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. Why do you say that, though? Thankfully, Moses gave us some insight into why Judah said those, those words. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. Again, who is Judah looking after? He's not looking after Tamar, is he? He's looking after himself. He's taking care of number one. He doesn't want to lose his only son. Rightly so, right? That would be an incredible loss. He's already sustained an incredible loss. But I think what God is trying to get us to see here is Judah's after himself. He's, he's looking out for himself. Years pass. Shelah grows up. He becomes a man. Still no marriage to Tamar. And so... Tamar hears that uh, Judah's wife has died. 
he is going up to his sheep shearers, and she dresses up uh, in a disguise, and uh, they meet along the side of the road. And you're just going to have to go back there and read the story. And so they meet along the side of the road, and uh, she becomes pregnant. And eventually, they're going to say, well, why, you know, she, she's committed adultery. What? This is wrong. And so Judah, they're going to go to Judah. And because he's the father-in-law, it's his right to say what happens to her. And so he's going to have her killed. And so she has tricked him, and she has kept some of the symbols uh, that belonged specifically to him, something like a signet ring, something that, that would be obviously his. And so uh, right before she is taken to the pyre to be burned, she sends those signet rings and the, the other things to Judah and says, hey, who are these? Because these are who I am pregnant by. And Judah says, well, she's more righteous than I am. And he lets the matter drop and everything turns out the way it should have turned out, thanks to God's providence. That's not a story you tell in your genealogy, is it? <laughs> That's not something you draw attention to. But Matthew does because God loves working through broken people. And so there's hope for us. Flip over to Genesis 49. Let's get the rest of Judah's story. Like we said earlier, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's story all come to us sequentially. Um, Judah's story is a little bit fragmented, and so we kind of have to jump around to find him in this story throughout history. <coughs> we kind of have to jump around and search for Judah. Um, early on in his life, he's not going to be a good man. Uh, he is opportunistic. He's selfish. He's immoral. Um, it's almost like every bad adjective you can think of to describe Judah hits the nail on the head. But later on in his life, he's changed. There's going to be a drought in a famine in, uh, in this entire area that encompasses Egypt and what will one day be Canaan, Palestine? Uh, there's a drought that's affected this entire area. It's, it's common, but this one's going to last seven years. This is a drought, a famine that God has foreordained, that he has caused. And it's going to affect Jacob and his family. Happily, Joseph is already in Egypt, right? How did he get there? Do you remember? Well, the brother sold him into slavery. And God has moved Jacob up the ranks until he is second in command of all of Egypt. It's something God loves to do. He did it with Esther, right? He did it with Daniel, right? He's done it here with Joseph. He loves to show his power in, in this way. That he can do anything if his people are faithful. He wants to work through you. And so your faithfulness is key. And so... Joseph is faithful. God has worked through him to bring him all the way up until second in command of all of Egypt. And jo Joseph has seen the famine coming and has been storing stuff away thanks to a vision of God. God had given him at this point seven years ago. His brothers have come on the very first year of the famine and they needed food. And Joseph says, fine, you can have food. I'll send you back with some food, but you're going to have to leave one of your brothers here. They leave Reuben. And so he says, next time you come, if you want your brother back, you want Reuben back, you bring the youngest brother, bring Benjamin back with you. And then I'll believe that you're, that you're the real deal, that you really are who you say you are, and you're not just spies trying to figure out how much food there is in the land. And so they go back to uh, Israel, go back to their dad, Jacob, and they say, well, this is the deal that the, the guy made with us. He's all powerful. He won't even see us if we don't bring Benjamin back. And so what are we going to do? And Jacob says, well, you're not bringing Benjamin. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're not, I'm not letting Benjamin out of my sight, right? Now his second favorite son uh, is being pulled away from him, and Israel's not going to have it. He's, he's not going to do that. And so they wait around. Uh, it looks like in the text, it looks like maybe it's a, a few months even that Reuben is there in Egyptian 
slavery, an Egyptian uh, prison with Joseph until finally they run out of food again. And so they are forced to go back to Egypt. This time they take all the silver that Joseph gave them uh, that they didn't pay for with the original food. They take double that amount of silver. They take some nice things that, that are from uh, the land that they live in right now. And they take Benjamin. They meet Joseph. You remember the rest of the story. Eventually, uh, Joseph plays another trick on them. And he's going to keep Benjamin there in slavery for life. Because he has uh, planted uh, a silver cup in Benjamin's bag. Looking like, making it look like Benjamin had been stealing from him. And so now Benjamin is going to be this man's, Joseph's uh, slave, his, his prisoner for the rest of his life. This is where Judah steps in, and he does something that's, that's really incredible. He, ste- he says, I have promised my father that I will be accountable. Isn't that a lovely word? Especially coming from Judah's lips. I will be accountable, because he has never been accountable. He never paid the price for, jo- for selling Joseph into slavery, did he? He never really reaped the consequences of the incident with Tamar, did he? And so now he's saying, I'm accountable. Ooh, okay, Judah. He's changing, isn't he? He's going from a selfish, self-centered, immoral guy to someone who has integrity, isn't he? God's working on him. He's slowly changing this man. And so uh, he says, I will be your slave. Let Benjamin go home to our dad because I can't bear to see my dad's face when I come home without Benjamin. Who's he thinking about now? He's not thinking about himself anymore, is he? The selfish man that we once knew as Judah seems to be gone by now, doesn't he? This is a brand new man. He is no longer selfish. He's no longer immoral. Now he is accountable. He's risking himself so that others can be blessed. That sounds like a familiar theme throughout Scripture, doesn't it? And so uh, Joseph finally breaks down and he tells Judah and all the rest of the brothers, what's going on? And he invites them to come down to Egypt. They're going to live in the best spots. They're going to have the best things in Egypt. And, and the rest is history. What I want you to see in Genesis 49, though, is how Judah came to be the one that we are aware of. Because I bet you didn't know Reuben was the firstborn, did you? If I were to ask you which one of the brothers were for, were, was firstborn, who would you have said? Who was the most famous? Maybe Levi, right? He's the second born or third born. But most of us would have probably mentioned, at least in the top three or four brothers, Judah as being the first born. Wonder why? Well, Genesis 49 is why he is the famous one. Listen to what he says here. Starting in verse 1, Jacob is going to go through his boys, all 12 of them. He's going to go through his boys. And he's going to give them the birthright. Their birthright is, is coming. Remember from Jacob and Esau earlier? Jacob stole Esau's birthright and the blessing. This is the birthright. Remember the firstborn son gets more than his fair share of the, the father's things, the father's wealth. That's not going to be true in this case. As in Jacob's case, when, with his father... Jacob's going to reverse the order. And so the firstborn doesn't get what would normally be due to the firstborn because of his own immoral acts. Verse 1, Genesis 49, verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. That sounds auspicious, doesn't it? Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn. Now, at this point, Reuben's got to be puffing out his chest thinking, all right, here comes the land, here comes the goods. My might and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent, preeminent in dignity and preeminent, preeminent in power. He's still got that chest puffed out, right? He's still thinking pretty high of himself. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. The chest starts falling quite a bit, doesn't it? Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. You went up to my couch. Reuben slept with 
Bela, one of Jacob's wives. You can find that story uh, in Genesis 35, verse 22. And so, because of his immorality, Jacob says, you are not going to be uh, do the, the goodness that the firstborn is normally due. Verse 5, he says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. Oh boy, so Simeon and Levi are also on the outs with dad. Oh my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willingness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So what's the deal with Simeon and Levi? Well, Jacob also has a daughter. Her name's Dinah. And she is um, one of the princes of the, of the land, forces himself on Dinah and takes her as his wife and then comes to Jacob and the brothers and he says, uh, I want to marry her, please give her to me. And they make a deal with him in such a way that he is injured for several days. Uh, they demand that he be circumcised. And while he is recovering from the circumcision, the entire town, all the males are circumcised in that town. While they are recovering from the surgery, Simeon and Levi come in and they kill every single male in the entire city for what happened to their sister. And so Jacob says, you also, these my second and third born sons, are not going to receive the inheritance due to the firstborn. So he's just going down the line, knocking them down one by one. He finally comes to Judah. Now, had Judah not had this accountability, had he not had this change of priorities and change of heart, he would have fallen into the exact same circumstances, the first three, right? Because early on in his life, he has the exact same attitude, doesn't he? He's out for number one. He's unstable. He's wicked. And so you expect to see something bad coming for Judah, but it doesn't. Listen to what he says here in verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? <coughs> The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine, and in his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. There's some poetic stuff there that you probably are aware of. What I really want you to see, though, is what he says about this scepter. It's not going to pass away from Judah until what? Until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Who is that tribute? It's Jesus. This is a messianic prophecy. Jacob is telling Judah that he will rule, that he, this tribe will rule over his brothers, and indeed he does. He the kings come from the tribe of Judah. David and his descendants are all from the tribe of Judah. And so every king will come through the line of Judah all the way up until Jesus comes. The one who will release them from all sin. From, from the slavery that they are bound to by Satan. And so Judah has the firstborn son's right. Everything has changed for him. If you met him early on in his life, you got to think Judah is just an immoral guy that you need to stay away from. But toward the end of his life, he's changed. He's a good, upright man who is looking out for other people. He's concerned about other people. Remember how he treated his, his dad when Benjamin's life was at stake? Who was he thinking of at that point? Normally, he would have been thinking about himself. He's not thinking about himself then, though, is he? He's thinking about his dad. I can't bear to see my dad's face if I come back without Benjamin. His mindset's changed. His priorities have changed. And that's God's wheelhouse. That's what God is good at. He's good at changing our priorities. He's good at changing, transforming us if we allow it. That's one of the things that we learn from Judah's life. God can take a broken and fractured person, no matter what he's done, no matter 
where she has been, no matter what we've done, He can take us and bring us, make us useful in His kingdom. Can make glory for Himself out of us. Isn't that an incredible promise? I love Judah's story. It's one of so much sadness and brokenness, but it's also one of so much hope, isn't it? And so tonight, if you're missing hope, Jesus is the only answer to your hope. He's the only one who provides hope. You get that by being immersed into his blood, having your sins washed away, becoming a part of his family, and becoming integral to his kingdom. Having him work through you to bring himself glory. Maybe you've already made the decision tonight to become baptized and you're just struggling. The world's got you down and some of the things that Judah struggled with, looking out for number one, taking care of yourself, maybe, maybe some of that stuff is what you've gotten embroiled in and you just need the prayers of this congregation to lift out of that, to, for God to lift you out of that. If you have any need, to, need tonight, won't you come as we stand and sing? Good evening, church family. Chris, great lesson, brother. Appreciate you and the time that you put into your lessons. Um, as a reminder, the elders announced this morning that three gentlemen have been selected uh, for elders here at Rome. That's Mike Williams, Rick Keister, and Jeremy Miller. Um, if you um, have anything to say about these men, good or bad, please see the elders by October 3rd. You have until October 3rd to do that. So, um, you know, good and bad, so please just don't be negative. Please also say the good as well. <laughs> um, but uh, also remember those people who've lost loved ones um, this week. Uh, remember to remember uh, Gary and Sandy Smith, the loss of their sister, Brenda. Also remember the Pittman family, the loss of Mason. Um, and also remember uh, Kathy Walls and their family, the loss of her mother. Uh, remember them in your daily prayers this week as they go through this difficult time of grief. Also, remember, continue to keep Kelly Williams in your prayers as she recovers. And she has radiation coming up soon, so remember that family in your prayers. Also, remember Dottie, Hager's, Dottie Hager, uh, 
granddaughter, Emma, uh, she has COVID, and also remember my brother in your prayers because he's dealing with COVID as well. That's all the announcements I have. Remember to continue to keep those who are still sick and battling cancer and um, all the other activities that we have going on at Rome. Remember to keep the church family and our elders and deacons in your daily prayers as well. Um, if you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in a conference room. You may leave and do that now. We will sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Last song this evening is number 947. 947. Jesus, let us come to know you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and everything you've given us. Thank you for this beautiful weather we've had, Lord. Uh, thank you for our three new elders, and please be with them, and please help everyone who's suffering from COVID at this time, Lord. Please help them get better and have a safe recovery, and please help us walk in your footsteps and be with everyone else, everyone else on our prayer list, Lord. Please be with them, and Thank you for Chris for giving the lesson today. And in Jesus' name we do pray, amen. <clears throat>